morning show tonight. Lots of questions already have come in, and uh, we'll get right to it. This in Leviticus chapter 13, there is an extensive study on leprosy. And leprosy is a picture throughout the Bible of the sin nature and the results of sin in man. Uh, it talks about leprosy being in our blood like sin in uh, Psalms 51.5. It talks about leprosy showing itself in small ways at first and that it's an incurable disease by human means. Only God could cure leprosy. Only God can cure sin. That leprosy separates us and isolates us when we have that, as does sin from God and from men and from the church. That it becomes loathsome over time and that uh, it is a slow creeping process that takes time. And ultimately, leprosy takes us past feeling, where we can't feel anything, and, and with sin is the same. Finally, le leprosy and sin will kill us. I'd like to talk to you about four facts about sin. First of all, all have sinned. Now, sometimes people get the idea that sin is a, is a temporary thing, or we may have sinned once in our life, or I did this one bad thing. But I propose to you that if you haven't been reborn, you are sinning constantly. And I also propose to you that if you have been reborn, you're going to continue to fall to sin because we're in the flesh and sin is in our nature until it's eradicated. The next fact about sin is that God will not tolerate sin. He is a holy God. He does not tolerate sin, and there's a very good reason for that we'll discuss in a minute. The next fact about sin is that the situation between us being sinful and God being holy and not standing any sin creates a tremendous amount of fear in us. And everybody has this existential angst and fear that comes along with being a sinner before, the, before a holy God. Finally, and as a result, people and religions often turn to manipulating or reinventing sin and kind of couching it in a new way so that um, we can live with it. And they do this in a number of ways. They, first, they reinterpret sin, they reinterpret God, or they reinterpret the punishment for sin. People will say about sin, well, it's okay, or it's a disorder now. That's a big one. I, I have a disorder, so I do these things wrong, but it's a disorder. It's out of my control. People will say that my acts are harmless. It doesn't affect anybody else. It's a private matter. They legitimize sin that way. Other people will, will uh, reinterpret God and say, well, God is all love. God is, is all good. He's a kind, heavenly Father who loves me completely and... Uh, and sin, you know, he'll kind of blink, a, blink an eye to that. I want to explain something about that if I could. God is all good. In order for us to trust him, we must believe that God is all good. And if he's all good, it means that he is all kind, all loving, all merciful, all, all the good things we can imagine. But it also means that he's all just and that he is completely... Um, has to be completely just in order to be considered all good. Let me give you an example. Suppose that you're taking a walk with a child that you love, and I use this in the book I wrote, and, and you're walking along and some villain steps out from behind the bushes and kills this child right before your eyes. And the police come and take this, this villain away and the trial is set, and you hear that the judge to try the, 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 the case is a very good judge. 
And so you go and you listen to what happens, and the, and the criminal is brought before this good judge, and the judge says, you know, you have done a horrible thing, but I love you, and I'm a, I'm a merciful and kind and loving God, so therefore I have to set you free because that's the only logical thing that I can do as a loving God. Now you, who watch this person do that, are, are going to be denied justice, and so will society. So you'll say to the judge, but wait a minute, my child was murdered by this person. And wait a minute, where's, where's, where's the, the punishment or where's the justice for the pain that I feel? And the judge would say, well, you know, I understand, but if, if you were in this sinner's position, you would want to be dealt with mercifully too, so I just have to let him go out of love. It doesn't make sense, does it? And if you sat before a judge like that, you would say, one, he's not a good judge, and two, he's not a judge that I can trust, and three, uh, uh, he does not satisfy justice. And that's the point of my illustration. God is all good. And because he's all good, we can trust him. Part of being all good is being all just. So he cannot allow for the least bit of sin. Finally, people reinterpret judgment, I mean, uh, the punishment for sin. Uh, in the LDS church, which we're going to get to in a minute, they have reinterpreted hell. Uh, they, and, and I mean this as, and I think a Latter-day Saint will understand I'm speaking the truth and there's no attack here, but this is the case. They have said that liars, adulterers, murders will go to a certain kingdom, the telestial, and that, and, I, and if someone knows where this reference is, please call the show and tell us live, but I believe Joseph Smith said that uh, if you could see this level, this kingdom of heaven, you would kill yourself to get there, it's so glorious. So what it's saying is that when you have these sins, yes, you're not going to live with God the Father, and yes, you'll be separate from Him, but you're going to live in a glorious place. Redefining hell is another way that we can live with sin. Another way that people live with sin is they put it into a hierarchy. They say that this sin is the worst, this sin is second, this is third, this is fourth, fifth, on down the line. Latter-day Saints put sin into a hierarchy, which we'll talk about in a moment. The problem with that is a thimble full of sin or a truckload of sin in your life is going to keep you separate from God if it hasn't been taken care of. So when it comes to salvation, a hierarchy of sin is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if you die a little bit of a, a mean gossip or a mass murderer. If you don't have the Lord, you're going to go to a place that, that you can dwell called hell. That's just the way it's, it works. The only way to not go to hell is to have total sin removed from your life, whether it's this big or whether it's the size of a truck. Now, let me explain. I know that there's a difference in sin when it comes to the consequences and the fallout and the trouble that it causes in people's lives. I realize that. Now, I'm not saying there's a difference there, but when it comes to salvation, sin is all the same. You either have it or you don't. Finally, um, people will also try to balance sin out with good. Uh, the Muslims will do that. They'll say, well, when I die, if I, I know I've done this much bad, but if I've done more good, then I'm going to be okay with Allah. The problem with that from a Christian perspective and from an LDS perspective is that it totally discounts the need for Jesus because you can overcome evil by doing good. So the balancing approach doesn't work. And then there's the self-atonement or work our sin away approach that people use to kind of legitimize sin so that we can live with it. I'm going to work away this evil act. So I went and, and, I, and I did this. Well, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this, and it's going to erode away that sin. That's, that's taking upon ourselves the atonement. 
and, and, and the sacrifice. That can't work because it dis disavows Jesus and what he's done for us. And then finally, we have people who want to reduce their sins to a minimum. They want to take sin and they want to just line upon line, precept upon precept, grow and slowly remove sin the best that they can. That's a good thing. But it will not remove the fact that you have sinned and it does not remove the fact that you probably will some way or another in the future. Here is the thing about sin. It was sin that separated us from God, period. It was sin. That moves us out of his realm, holy God, all right? What brings us back in God's presence? The absolute absence of sin. It's the either or. You either have sin in you and you're not with God, or you have no sin, not a bit, not an ounce, not a drop of sin in you, and then you can live with God. So the question becomes, what gets you to the point where you can have this total assurance that you can live with God? Is it going to be that you're going to do it? Is it going to be that you're going to work your way through it? Is it going to be rites of a religion? Is it going to be activity in a religion? No, 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 no. There's only one thing that can absolutely remove all sin from you to stay in the presence of the Lord. And that's Jesus. And that's why we focus on Jesus Christ being reborn through him and having all sins, past, present, and future, taken away from us. Do you understand the concept that partial, partial, progressive, getting rid of sin bit by bit and all this stuff, that has nothing to do with it. Jesus suffered for sin 2,000 years ago, past, present, and future. When you come to him by faith, your sins are forgiven of you, past, present, and future. And that's how you have assurance of salvation through him. The LDS church has some issues regarding sin. Some of those issues are good. What a wonderful organization in keeping people at least, to, at, least at a minimum of sin. They are, they are tough on sin and they, they have expectations. And they don't think that it's, it's uh, they don't take sin lightly. And they have many programs and things to help people in their lives overcome certain sinful practices and behaviors. And that's a good positive thing. But like I mentioned, they also believe in a hierarchy of sin. The problem with a hierarchy of sin is it allows some members to continue to be in the church fat, dumb, and happy, for lack of a better word, and I include myself in that, at least the fat part, and dumb. But uh, it allows for that while they can look down their noses at people who have done the more serious sins. When it comes to salvation, it doesn't matter. And so uh, the hierarchy of sin in the LDS church is problematic because it bifurcates the church and it causes there to be cliques of celestial types and then, you know, the terrestrial and celestial and outer darkness types and that whole thing is built upon a hierarchy of sin, which is just not true. The other thing is uh, Joseph Smith revising a hell. It's not politically correct these days to talk about hell. I want you to know that if you study the Bible and you read the words of Jesus about the place where the worm never dies, about the abuso, about the weeping and welling and gnashing of teeth, about the fire and brimstone, uh, through his parables he teaches, through the rich guy and, and Lazarus at his door, Hell is a legitimate, real place. An ounce of unforgiven sin 
will put you there. And it is no, people don't want to talk about it. Even the Christian churches, they don't want to talk about hell. I'm telling you, it's a reality scripturally. I believe in it. I believe in heaven more. And I believe God wants all of us there. But it has to come through faith in his son. Finally, Mormonism makes the church its ways, its demands, its culture, its doctrines, um, the watermark of hope for people who are, are, are sinners. It makes the church the representative of Jesus instead of Jesus being the representative of Jesus. I think I can argue that very well when it comes to the things that are said and done within it. That's a problem because the church is not the savior of somebody. A church and its programs are not. Jesus is. I want to read to you something. I want to show you. Uh, I don't know if you can focus in closely on this. Which uh, camera should I go to? This one. I'm going to show you this letter. I'm going to read it to you. And this is from a friend of mine who he and his wife and his uh, children, they decided that they were going to have their names removed from the church. Now, I want you to listen carefully to this letter. It's da- uh, the date's not on it, but it was recent. Um, headline, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Subject, request to remove name from the records of the church. Listen to the verbiage used in this. Dear brother, I'm going to say Jones. I am in receipt of your letter requesting that your name be removed from the church of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Having discussed this, Brother Jones, I am now taking the steps necessary to complete this process. Listen to this. As a result of this action, your baptism will no longer be valid, and any and all blessings that were given to you will become null and void. Your priesthood ordination will be voided, and your temple marriage will no longer be valid, and the sealing to your wife and children will become null and void as well. Since you have asked that the names of your children be removed from the records of the church, all priesthood blessings given to them will also become null and void. Then they transition to the conclusion. We wish you the best. You have to think that's kind of, I mean, he's become null and void, but we wish you the best as you pursue this new course, and we want to assure you, assure that should you ever decide to return to the restored gospel, we are all ready to assist you in any way we can. Returning to the church will require a thorough, it says through, but a thorough baptism and interview. Temple and priesthood blessings will be restored by action of the first presidency after rebaptism. Per church policy, this action will take effect 30 days from the date of this letter. If after thought and prayer you should decide that you do not want to take this action, you must notify the stake president in, pri- in writing prior to that time. His address and phone number are. gives the name of the president and it says sincerely. Where does it say the Lord still loves you, brother? Where does it say turn to him, trust in him? Where does it say we hope you find a good Christian church to take your children to? You might not like the Mormon church, but, you know, go find a good Christian church or go find some place that's going to draw you to Christ and really worship. Where does it say that? Where's the love of the Lord in this, in this departure letter? It's not. Because the church demands allegiance to the church and the institution and not the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the solution? The solution, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. But I, wanna, I want you to imagine for a minute, we're going to open up the phone lines now. Please uh, start calling in if you'd like, but we're going to imagine for a minute that Gordon B. Hinckley announced in general conference that the church was going to break up into two separate operations. 
The first operation of the church is going to continue as it is. They're going to call that the celestial church. And the people in that are going to continue with prophets and apostles and extra-biblical scripture and temple ceremonies and rites and Sabbath day observances um, and the word of wisdom. And you can continue on in that church, says the prophet, uh, if you uh, want. And then he says we're going to open up a second operation. It's going to be known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Failing Saints. And in that, we're going to take people who are babes in Christ or people who don't even know Him. And we're going to focus on them establishing a relationship with the Lord. We're going to give a place to the struggling, who, those people who are in the flesh, the artists and the people who are outcasts. We're going to give a place to those people that Jesus hung out with when He was on this earth. We want the alcoholics and the drug users and the people who are promiscuous and the failures. We're not going to have a paid clergy. We're not going to have a, a, a tithing, but we're going to have a biblical hope and study of Jesus and worship every single Sunday. You're going to meet in the ward houses at a different time from the celestial. But this is what we're going to do. Now, what do you think would happen if, if that occurred? Do you think any, what, do you, what do you think the result would be? Do you think it would, it's, it's unnecessary? Do you think it's foolish? Do you see the need for it? I personally do. You know what? We've had 12 letters um, come in, and I want to discuss those, but I have a line uh, on line one, Randy, and we're going to take him quickly, and then I'm going to go to those different questions on the letters. Randy, you're on live. Hey, how you doing there? Hey, good. How are you? Oh, not bad. I was just uh, wondering, uh, I, I studied the Book of Mormon, and they the claims that they're uh, um, from the uh, tribe of Judaism, and they escaped through uh, to the Americas, you know, and... Mm -hmm. Um, they they don't carry the Sabbath with them. I was I was wondering if um, your your stand on the Sabbath and what your understanding of the Sabbath is. That's a great question, Randy. Um, you want to stay on, or you want to hang up and listen on through the TV? Uh, that's about it. I'll I'll hang up and okay, man. Say. Free some lines up. I'll answer it now. The Sabbath day, first and foremost, cannot be kept by anybody who is not a member of the house of Israel. The Sabbath day was a covenant day between God and them. We do not, or Latter-day Saints do not keep a Sabbath day. The penalty for breaking the Sabbath day was death. So we don't keep a Sabbath day. The children of Israel were under the law and they, they worked and lived under this law. And they looked forward to the last day of the week, Saturday, in which to rest. They, would, they were under bondage, under bondage, and then they would come to Saturday, and it was their day of rest. When Jesus came, he then instituted himself as the place of rest. He said, come unto me, and I will give you rest. And so the Sabbath day became the Lord's day. And fittingly, it begins the first day of the week, Sunday, and it's from that day all things should spring forth. Nowhere in the New Testament are there, uh, is there anything except some censure for Sabbath days. That There's nothing in the New Testament that talks about following the Sabbath day. But, uh, so when I say Sabbath day, I'm talking about the Saturday Sabbath day. Now the Lord's Day on Sunday, that's a great day and, and it's, it's prescribed that, that Christians are supposed to gather together with like-minded saints. We're to break bread, we're to pray, we're to worship, and we're to allow the Spirit to guide us and direct us. Hear the word preached. Acts chapter 2 talks about that. 
So the Sabbath day was done away with like all, like most of the other legalisms at the LDS church that Joseph brought back in as uh, necessary to uh, being worthy before God. And it's, very, it's a very, very difficult concept for most Latter-day Saints to understand because from the very beginning as children, we were taught that this Sabbath day, this day is a holy day. And we were brought under these, uh, these thoughts about the day itself. But the day is the Lord's day, and every day should be the Lord's day, not just one day of the week. Josh is on line two. We're going to go to Josh. Fire away, Josh. John, hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? No, I'm doing pretty good. Hey, I just had a question. I mean, I, I sat down here tonight, uh, turned on the, the TV, and, and, and I saw you talking about Christ, and I thought, oh, you know, what a great show. Um, but I did have a problem with you kind of kind of bashing on the LDS Church, uh-huh. um, a church that, that tries to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I didn't understand really what your stance was on that. Could you explain that for me? Well, my show is, I'm, I'm, uh, I have a website called Born Again Mormon. I was a Latter-day Saint 40 years, just to kind of summarize for the audience who's just tuned in. And I believe that uh, the LDS Church, uh, I think there's a big difference between Mormonism and Mormons. And I think there are many, many saved uh, Mormons, but I think Mormonism teaches a gospel that is contrary to the biblical church. And, uh, and I can, most of our shows cover some aspect of the reason why. And so um, I don't think there's anything uh, that anyone could say about their desire to teach what they believe. But I believe that the, the biblical uh, scriptures teach something different. And I think that Jesus, in the end, is missing from, uh, the, from the members being spiritually regenerated. So my whole point is to try to put Jesus at the front of the cart and uh, let every, all the other religious practices and differences kind of fall behind and just focus on Him taking over the lives of the saints. Well, thanks for your explanation. You're uh, welcome. Interesting. So. Okay, Josh, thanks for calling. Have a good day. You too, man. We have Karen on line one. Karen, you're on. Hi. Um, Hi. I'm just saying that uh, in response to your, your Sabbath day remark, uh-huh. that, uh, Jesus, having been a Jew, uh-huh. obviously would have upheld the, uh, the Old Testament ritual of Sabbath day of observance, and yeah. he would have, um, as Moses declared, honor the Sabbath day and and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Right. And uh, Jesus also lived that law. He did. From his childhood. Uh-huh. So it was nothing new to the Jews. Right. Who still observe it today. Right. And um, I think you're way off base on your comment on the Sabbath day. Oh, well, wait. What you're saying is Jesus did that. Well, Jesus came as a Jew, and he lived the law. So there's no question about that. But that's in the Synoptic Gospels in John. We're talking about after the day of Pentecost. We're talking about after the ascension. When Jesus uh, ascended, we have a church that, that was revitalized by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And the Sabbath day and the law went to the grave. And so because Jesus did it, he, he was doing that, of course, because he came to the Jews. He came to, to bring them the gospel. Fulfill the law to fulfill the law, and to teach the Jews. He didn't teach the Gentiles. But when, the, when he was refused and rejected... He was not exclusive to the Jews. Well, he, he was. That was his purpose. I uh, beg your pardon. Well, you can, you, can, you, can, you can believe otherwise, but his mission was to the Jews. 
That was what he came for, and the, and the Gospels testify he of that. Taught, he, he taught the Jews and the Gentiles as well. He taught the Gentiles as well, but that wasn't his mission, Karen. What religion were his apostles? I'm not saying that they weren't Jewish. Of course they were Jewish. The early church were all Jews. Judah but was the only Jewish apostle. The Sabbath day, the Sabbath day was not part of the Christian church once they came to understand what the... Uh, you take issue with these small, minute trivia and minutia, you're going to have a problem, and you're going to have people calling in continually. Well, I'm not here to avoid problems, Karen. I'm here to talk about pardon, the Lord. I can't hear you. I'm not here to avoid problems. I'm not here to create them either. I'm just really here to talk about the Lord. I think I laid out a pretty fair uh, scriptural, biblical argument uh, against keeping a Sabbath day. You can't show me in the New Testament any scripture that says that we should be keeping a Sabbath day, but you can find several that say that Sabbath days are, are, are done for. Yes, and, there is, uh, I recall, a scripture in the New Testament. Yeah. I'm talking about from Pentecost forward, not, not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, regardless. No, not regardless. They're different. If you think they're the same, then you need to study the Bible. Oh, I've studied it. But let me tell you, in, regardless, in the four Gospels, it talks about, and Jesus is quoted as saying, you know, you, um, ob talked about Sabbath day observance and walking with me twain on the Sabbath day. You need to study your scriptures. Okay, well, I will. I'll study them, Karen. Everything that was worthwhile did not happen after the day of Pentecost, believe me. Uh, not everything worthwhile, but everything that pertains to the Christian church did. No, you're yeah. wrong. Well, everything except for what Jesus uh, did so, for us, of course. Where do you get this information from? Well, I read the Bible and I read it in context. Well, then you're interpreting it that way. Well, that's your opinion. And I guess I interpret it that way with a, hundreds of millions of other Christians. I don't know what to tell hundreds you. Hundreds of millions? Hundreds yeah. of millions? I okay, maybe a billion. I think there's more like a billion, but... No, but you're, say, you're stating that you, are, that you are on the same side as a hundred million Christians, Christians? who I also think, believe as you do. I think we're pretty close. That's, that's a huge assumption on your part. Well, then I assume, and I'm considered an idiot. I'm, I'm a failure, no, but I'm all I know is that... Failure or an idiot, uh, I'm saying uh, you're uh, making a huge... Well, you're, you're, all I'm telling you is the Sabbath day is irrelevant to the Christian church. And you can't keep the Sabbath day, Karen. You can't, because you're not part of the, the whole token of the Sabbath day of the Old Testament. So you're fooling yourself if you think you're obeying something that has significance to God. And you can, you can argue with me and give me your opinions, and I can give you mine, but bottom line... By, by what authority can you say that? By the authority of Jesus Christ. And I believe in him, and he gives me the authority to speak in his I name. Whence came, a, came this authority to you? Oh, we're going to go down the authority road now. It I came whence from, came this authority to the, you? And whence it came through oh. believing in him. By, pardon me? It came through believing in him. Okay, well, that's marvelous. All you need to do is believe. That's great. That's all you need, sister. I hope you find that out. We got to go. We got other lines. Uh -huh, thanks. Bye. Sh Sharon on line three. Sharon, you're up. Hi. Guess what? One more question about the Sabbath. All right. <laughs> this should be a Here's little a easier, bed. though. Um, my confusion is uh, in the Ten Commandments, not as scripture so much, but uh, you know when it says, "Thou shalt not kill." It also says, "Thou shalt keep the Sabbath day holy." Well, if those never change, then then why doesn't this? Why is it okay to change the Sabbath? commandment. Okay, that's a good I'm going to hang up and let you answer that. Okay, that's a good question. I'll, let me try to answer that. Bless you. Okay. Bye. Uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments were not done away with, but they were fulfilled. And in the New Covenant, Jesus broadened those to a certain extent. So let's take one. Um, 
Thou shalt not commit adultery is the easy one because Jesus didn't say adultery is okay. What he said was, let me tell you about how you're committing adultery. You're committing it in your heart. So it wasn't just don't commit it, which the Jews had really messed that one up and they had done all kinds of things. Same with the bill of divorcement and all these other things. No, it wasn't just don't commit it. It was don't commit it in your heart. Now for unregenerated people, that's an impossibility because we are fleshly and we're of the soul. So we do things in our hearts first. And what he was saying is you're condemned by this law. This law condemns you completely and you are not innocent. You need a new heart. So all of the 10 commandments in the New Testament are referred to and still applicable, except the Sabbath day. So there's two thoughts about that. A third thought is regarding the Sabbath day is the whole purpose of the Sabbath day and the covenant between God and the children of Israel was for them to come to him, to obey him and rest. The whole point was for them to obey him and rest. All right. The same thing is true for us. And we now obey the Lord and we rest in him. Jesus is anything that you give of the Old Testament that was a type of Jesus in the future, you can answer with Jesus today. If it's the Sabbath day, if it's leprosy, if it's sin, if it's adultery, Jesus has a place to show you where he fits in that, that, that peg now and fills that up and fulfills it. So there's my answer to that. Quincy on line two. Quincy, you're on. How about you? How are you, Sean? Doing all right, man. How are you? That, that right. Sabbath day one's got me sweating. I, well, sometimes you get to be the hot seat, you know. <laughs> um, to, to kind of answer questions, support, um, Jesus, you know, he did not come to change the law of one, one eye, one dot. Right. But he fulfilled that law, and he became our Passover. And so, therefore, we keep the simplicity of Christ by keeping each and every day holy in all mannerisms of conversation Amen. and behavior. Amen. Amen. And uh, the biggest problem today that I see, it's not just Mormonism that you're talking about, but the traditions of men are being taught in our churches and not the Word of God. Amen. Because people do not want to read that Word. Jesus is the Word. You hold that Word. Why do you want to go to a man or a church or or a denomination and not go to God? Right. Quincy. Uh, you know what? I, I'm really grateful for people like you who call. I came from Mormonism, uh, and, and I don't know the word completely. Amen. And so it's great when people call and they help me explain exactly what the, the word says about all this. Amen. And, and, and that's what we have to depend on. Yeah. We have a lot of people with itchy ears, and they don't want to use their eyes to read the word and see what God says. Amen, Quincy. Amen. God bless you, brother. Thanks so much. Have a good night. Bye. Alan from Logan on line one. Alan, you're on. What's up, brother? How you doing? How's it going, man? Doing pretty good. All right. I'm going to shift gears off of the Sabbath, okay? Okay. And uh, I'm going to ask, uh, maybe there's some LDS people listening, and I want to ask them about, uh, about Sunday morning. Hey, Alan, are you, uh, is your TV on? Um, he's going to turn, you got to turn it all the way off, son. Okay, now how's that? Uh, you're still echoey. Are we on a speakerphone? No, you know what? It's just my house. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm in a big room with high ceilings. All right, man. Go ahead. Okay, so the question is for, the, for my LDS friends out there. Uh, on Sunday, when they take the sacrament prayer, um, are they promising just to keep the easy commandments, you think? I mean, you took the sacrament. Right. But when you did, 
Did you only promise to keep the easy commandments? No. Did you I, promise to keep all the commandments? All of them, Alan. I promised then to keep all of them. Now, for my LDS friends, I want to ask them, if the God they believe in truly knows their thoughts and their intentions of their heart, and that's one question. Two, have they ever, or have they ever themselves or ever met anyone who's kept all, any of all the time? Have they ever kept all the commandments? No, they all ten. Right before Jesus, after Jesus, during the time Jesus walked on the earth, do they know anybody who ever kept them? No. Okay. And the last question would be, if these two questions are, no, I don't know anybody, and I've never been the one to keep them, and God knows every thought and intention of my heart. Why would I promise God on Sunday and promise something that He and I both know we can't accomplish? Amen. Why are you? I, it's just a challenge of a question. And I, and I do have good friends that I've, and, and strangers, people that I just become friends with, and I ask them this question. And it really, they don't know. They don't know why they promise. Alan, it's great. I hope, I'm glad you threw that out. We'll get some responses. I got to go to line three. All right, brother. Thanks, Alan. Yeah. Stephen from Clinton, Utah. You're on line three. Go ahead, Stephen. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Hey, I too am from the same background you are, basically, mm -hmm. raised in a LDS family. Um, Father's a patriarch, went on a mission, married in the temple, uh -huh. um, devout. Um, tried to live as holy a life as I could. Uh -huh. A lot of different things that started making sense to me later on, though. And, and about the Sabbath, I think anybody who, like Paul would say in Romans, if you're going to judge by the law other people, right. then you too will be judged by that law. Right. Now, let's take a look at that Sabbath law for this lady who called you earlier. The Sabbath law is on Friday night until Saturday night, period. Okay. It's not Sunday. Right. It's Saturday. And also, you don't travel a certain distance from your home right. on Saturday. So, if you're going to judge by the law, then you have to judge by the law, not by a law that you make up. Right. Now you're taking the law and conforming it to what you want the law to be, and then telling everybody, you have to live this conformed law according to us. That's and then, right. quote, out of context, Jewish people and their belief in the Sabbath to justify what you're saying. And, and to me, it's that spin that we continually get right. on doctrine. And I, I think it's not being honest to yourself if you're going to say, we're going to judge by the law, but we're not going to live that. We'll do a customized law. Right. And I uh, that's what I want to ask you is, how do people actually justify that? I couldn't. I couldn't do that because when I read in Romans, if you read the book of Romans clearly, right. it explains the law. Yeah. It's to show us our sin, to bring us to repentance, to bring us to Christ. And I wish this very lovely lady who had called earlier, and I could hear her frustration, yeah. would just sit down and open her eyes and read the book of Romans. Right. And, and realize the law is there to show us our sin, to bring us to Christ, not to judge us and condemn us to hell for not living every single one of them. Amen. Uh, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, um, from my perspective, I didn't know Romans. I, it wasn't taught. You know how Romans is taught in the church. If you go back and listen, Romans is taught in a very quick and different way. Literal little spots here and there, and then they go on. The Word is just not really taught and absorbed, and so you don't really understand the relationship with the law. And I just really believe Sabbath day, you obey it, you know. So I came to understand I would too. it. My dad would... We had no TV. Oh, yeah. Play with our friends on Sunday. Yeah. And I adhered to this. My okay. yoke is easy. My burden is light. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I have the greatest respect for the LDS people. Yeah. I would never want to stand up and bash them because my family, everybody that I know in my life is LDS, and I love them. Right. I just ask that they take a close look at what the Bible says and do what it says. Do not be afraid to look at truth. Amen. Thank you for your call. Every single thing, and don't be afraid. Okay, Clinton. Thanks, man. You bet. Call back. Bye. We got Rob on line two. Rob, you're up. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Hey, I just had a comment. You know, I, I enjoy a lot of the shows and so forth, but a lot of times when people will ask questions on there about the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, or the Mormon Church, yeah. some of the things that you say on there, I mean, I don't know whether um, some of the things aren't really, you know, when you explain what the Mormon Church believes or what their stand is on it, it's yeah. not right. And, you know, I, I feel like, to, to be fair, if, if people are going to ask, they should have someone on there that understands the Mormon Church. For instance, you know, like last week you were saying that the Mormons don't know the significance of the cross. Right. And we do know the significance of the cross and what Christ did for us. And, you know, we just choose to celebrate his life and his mission. But, um, and then you were saying that the, the Ten Commandments were done away with with the New Covenant. That's not the way I understand it. It's that the, the Law of Moses was done away with the New Covenant when Christ came. Yeah. But as far as it being the focal, Christ being the focal point of the Church, I mean, there's a scripture in the Book of Mormon that says, and we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we yeah. preach of Christ, we yeah. prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for a revenge you know of sin. You know what? you got to let me talk. You're calling and you're not having a question. You're just giving me a sermon on how I don't know Mormonism. I have to tell you, I think I do know it. I think, I, can, I think all my experience and I think my work within it can show that I do. And I think that what you're, pre what you're pre preaching here is theory. I think in theory you could say that Mormons do do this. But the problem is in the practice it's not true. Well, you're talking about different people then. No, I'm talking every about... Every religion has people yeah, that don't yeah, yeah. do what they're supposed to do. And, more, you know, Mormonism's no different. You're going to have people that offend other people or don't do what they say. But yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the overall structure. The, the right. corporate structure of the church and the doctrine is antithetical to biblical scripture. Well, if you want to call and say that, that's Mormon not church, true. Though, we believe in continued revelation. Well, there, well you, you may believe in continued revelation. I believe that the Lord continues to talk to us too. But he doesn't talk in conflict with the Bible. Youth, your your religion does. No, it so does. We have a pro yes, it does. Where does it? Well, I, where does it? I'm not. This is the thing. My show is not about point by point argument. My sh my my show is about. Do you know Jesus? Have you been spiritually reborn? And if you have, you know you're saved. Can you say that? Yeah. When you say you're saved, that means you're living in the celestial kingdom with God. No, not right now. Well, of course, I... then you don't have salvation, my friend. In my life. You have worry. You have a worry and a concern, and you're under a burden and a yoke that is not biblical. Now, I'm sorry. You can say these things on the air, and you can quote scriptures from the Book of Mormon, but those scriptures are, are simply elaborations and borrowings from the New Testament message of Jesus. The Book of Mormon is a good Christian-type book, but it is not divine, and it does not teach the Christian gospel through and through. Oh, it does, though. No, it doesn't. Yeah, I'm sorry. And we, you and I could go back and forth on a website or on a webpage, but we can't do it on a live show. I just can't let you. I, I speak passionately, but I can't let you call and quote books, uh, verses from the Book of Mormon and tell me that Jesus is a sinner and the cross is so important. Well, then, then and that is not true. Mormon doctrine 
that you don't know about. You no, know, it's not Mormon doctrine I don't know about. You're, you're, you're errant on that. You, you're assuming things about me, and you're wrong. I'm putting it into con truthful context, and, and you have to be truthful about it. And you're calling on here with a slant that is not true. Whose truth? Okay, I'm talking about the Lord's truth. I've got to go to David on line one. David, fire away. <laughs> David, are you there? No, this is Sean. Sean? Sean. My name is Sean also. Hey, Sean. Fire away. My question is, um, I grew up in Utah, almost, been here 50 years. I was uh, almost drawn into the Mormon belief, but I believe this, the spirit of truth rescued me from it. Now, how can we debate with Latter-day Saints as Christians when we don't have the same Jesus? Our Jesus was God from the beginning. Their Jesus is the offspring of a physical contact between a man-god and a woman. And I'll take my answer off there. Thank okay, you. David. Uh, well, my first answer is we don't debate, even though I just debated Ron or whatever. Um, I, I had to because he's calling the show and presenting something that I just couldn't let go. But you don't debate. And you preach the true Jesus, and you, and you focus on, are you sinning? Are you saved? Jesus gives the promise of absolute remission of sin and absolute knowledge that you're saved because you have peace in him. Are you saved? Are you sinning? Are you reborn? If you talk to Latter-day Saints about those concepts only, don't touch the Sabbath day. I'm sorry I set the bad example tonight. Don't touch the minor points of the law like Karen said we shouldn't go down because you're right. It just turns into a he said, she said, this said, this, and it doesn't work. But Jesus is the answer. He was, he's the answer to everybody. So talk about Jesus, and hopefully that will break down the barriers. Now, you say it's a different Jesus. The real Jesus comes forth when you testify of him, and he will make himself known. All right? We're going to Gary on line three. Gary, you're on. Yes. Um, the analogy you gave of the father and the child that was killed. Father and child was killed. Went before the judge. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think in any court, whether it's before uh, God or a court uh, here on this, uh, on this planet, uh -huh. uh, the case would be dismissed unless you can show intent. And in your analogy, obviously there was intent, right? Oh, there had to be intent. He did the act. Okay, so my question is this, and just base this on your own life. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> You've done things wrong, right? Oh, you don't want to know. Go ahead. <clears throat> okay, we both have. Right. But if you look back, how many of those things were premeditated or you intended to do wrong? Well, I'm a passionate guy, so not all, not all of them, but I did premeditate some. But if you look at most people who die, who've done things wrong, in all probability, they didn't intend to. They did it out of passion. It was a momentary thing. It was a mistake. Okay. There was adultery or whatever it was. Okay. Uh, but they didn't intend to break the law. I'll go down that road with you. I don't necessarily agree, but I'll go down with it with you. Okay, keep going. I, and I think when God judges us, uh, he's going to look at the intents of our heart. What did we really intend to do? And if we intended to cause harm, then I think we're in big trouble. Well, here's where i got to differ with you. The intents of our heart, you're right, we will be judged by that. But we are cleansed from all sin, whether it was intentional or not, by Jesus. 
So it's irrelevant whether our sins were premeditated or murder or adultery or stealing candy from a 7-Eleven. If we have accepted Jesus, all the, all the sin is removed. I couldn't agree with you more, but you're contradicting yourself. How? You just said a minute ago that hell was a real place that is, is. just not a, a politically correct uh, uh, place, but it actually exists. Right. And so somebody's going to go there, right? Oh, yes. Who's going there? Those who don't believe in Jesus. Uh, you don't think there'll be people there that believe in Jesus? I don't. What? If someone has been uh, accepted Jesus Christ, they are not going to hell. Uh, Jesus said himself in the New Testament. You know, he said they would do works. Well, wait a minute now. In the New Testament, Jesus said himself. Yeah. When he cast out evil spirits. Works. Even they knew that he was the Son of God. Yeah, you're going to have to quote that they knew he was the Son of God and were casting out devils and, and, and things. I just read that they were casting out devils and doing works in his name, and he says, I didn't know you. But if you confess Jesus with your mouth, you will be saved. And it's as simple as that. So all of these evil spirits who were cast out who confessed that he was Jesus are going to be saved. Okay, okay. If we can't, you want to split hairs that way, we can argue it. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, not, I'm not, no, I'm not here to split hairs. You know what I mean when I say when you confess with your mouth, God is going to judge that heart whether your confession of faith in him was real or if it was just a tacit thing to say to appease people or get somewhere. I'm talking uh, about real uh, confession. How about the 90% of the people who ever lived on this planet who never even heard the name of Christ? What's okay, God is a merciful God. He is full of grace, and he says that nature itself in Romans testifies of him. I think that be, the grace of God will cover those things according to God's will and ways, not my judgment. I'm not going to tell you that uh, I think the, uh, the uh, African who never heard of Jesus is going to burn in hell. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe in a God of grace and mercy. And okay. who's going to be in hell? Those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would they even reject him if they knew he existed? Well, that's, that's man's thinking, trying to make sense of this, but they reject him now. Right here in the flesh, they have evidences and proofs of things that he's done. They see the lifestyle of people who follow him, and they reject him now. I don't see why it would be any different later. But you, can you blame a person because he doesn't believe in Christ? If he doesn't uh, believe that, what are you going to do, cast him down in hell? Absolutely. That? Absolutely. And let me tell you why. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son to suffer for us. And he let his son take on the abuse for us. All right? If he lets his own son suffer like that, what do you think he's going to do to the creations who refuse his son? You think he's going to be all, hey, it's okay, buddy? You know, I love you? Come on, wake up, man. That suffering that Jesus did was real. His, his father let him do it. And that suffering he is going to put out on you if you reject his son. That's bottom line. I don't care who you are. I have it, a question. What's going to happen to King David? King David is in heaven. He is? Yes. What? Because he committed adultery? Because he had Uzziah killed? Uriah killed? Sure. So no, well. yeah, no, no. It's not based on your actions. See, that's LDS thinking. The problem is, is all sin is wiped away through the Lord. David is fine. That's another Mormon myth that's really ugly, and it's got me fired. If, if you're right, then I'll tell you what. If you're right, then I'll, then I'll submit this, okay? Okay. That is, I went to a church meeting in Wisconsin. It was a Lutheran church, okay. and I was visiting. And he got up there on the pulpit and challenged anybody in the audience to come up and debate with him the question of mercy, just what you're just talking about right now, okay? okay. And I didn't do it out of courtesy to the family I was with. 
Okay. But I could have gone up and said, okay, tear out that page and throw the rest of the Bible away because that's all you need. Okay, Gary, you know what? You're saying, you're I, just saying throw the whole Bible away. No. Just need the one page that talks about mercy. No, no I actually, the, the story <laughs> I told at the beginning about sin totally contradicts what you're saying I'm saying about that. No, sin is real. Hell is real. Mercy cannot be robbed uh, of justice or by justice. I mean, mercy cannot be, uh, justice cannot be robbed by mercy. Will Satan be in hell? Yeah, that's what hell was made for. You don't believe that Satan knows who Christ is? Knows is different. We're talking about a different thing. You're talking about an intellectual uh, assent versus a heartfelt change and desire to praise the sovereign Lord. These, these word games are, are ridiculous, Gary. You're not being fair. You're and, trying to argue uh, something. This uh, is not right. How long are these people going to be left in hell? Forever? Forever. Forever and ever. Infinitely. Yeah, yeah. The worm doesn't die. Yeah, I know. That's another one that you'll argue because there's not really any clear thing in the New Testament that says forever and ever. But when Jesus said the worm never dies and the flames ascend forever and ever, I believe that's what he's talking about. Where, where did Christ go during the two, three days that he was gone after his crucifixion? He went to the spirits in prison. All right. And he taught them the gospel so they could be judged according to men. He taught them the gospel? Yep. What he did was he released them. They had been waiting. These were the righteous people who lived in the Old Testament prior to his coming. The blood of bulls and goats did not save those people. All it did was cover those sins until Jesus actually sacrificed. Uh, so he, those people were not in the presence of Satan then? No. Them? Absolutely not. I see. All right. So Gary, I got three other calls, and you're consuming too much time, brother. Call back on another line. We have Devin on line one. Hi. How you doing? Hey, good. I'm trying to calm down for you, regardless of your question. All right, that's good. Well, I actually had a couple questions for you. Um, yeah, you got to be quick, man. Well, what it is is uh, I actually am one of the guys that go out occasionally over at the conference center, and I notice that a lot of people use James with faith and works. Yeah, they do a lot. Yeah, and, and what I've understood with that is, is that it says that show me your faith by your works, and they take it to say, well, by my works, I'll show you my faith. Right. And there's, you know, they ignore the fact that it's talking about faith, right? It's talking about faith. It's not talking about works. It's talking about faith. Yeah, and, exactly. And then yeah. It's, in a, it's just the same misinterpretation in the Book of Mormon. It talks about no secret handshakes or oaths or covenants, which is what they do in the temple. And that kind of goes along with the same thing that I read in the Journal of Discourses, where Brigham Young said in Volume 4, page 77, yeah. that they have the greatest and smoothest liars in all the world. Well... I'm not going to throw that out because I know some of the greatest people with the greatest hearts who are very good uh, LDS who I know they know the Lord. So I'm not going to go about them being the greatest deceptors. You know, I'm a great deceptor. I've been a great deceptor in my life. And when I'm in the flesh, I am. So we can't, we can't cast out pejorative terms at the, at the Latter-day Saints in general. Well, yeah, we have to look at it that, that, that it's not the people, but it's their leaders that have been deceptive to them and see they don't know the truth and so they misunderstand faith and works and grace and yeah Aaron and it's heart-wrenching because my wife is LDS and her parents will pray for you buddy I got five minutes I got other people pushing through call again Steve you're on line two yeah Sean uh, hey I, I enjoy your show I haven't watched it too many times but uh, from what I've seen it's uh, been very informative and I've learned a lot glad you're on I uh, just wanted to make a point I uh, got a gentleman who was a member of the church uh, called uh, a few callers ago, and kind of got up in your face a little bit about uh, points of doctrine. I just want to ask all members of the church out there. I'm a former member, 
I've read the Book of Mormon a couple dozen times. Um, really wanted it to be true. Yeah. Really wanted to believe everything. Um, you know, they got some really strong points of doctrine, but I want to ask, uh, we know that the Bible teaches that God never changes. He's always constant. Makes sense to me that he wouldn't change, reason being, I want to know who I'm worshiping, and if he changes his mind every other day, who, who am I going to, you know, how am I going to worship him? Okay. I'm um, going to have to put that out to the audience. I got to, we're at two minutes left, my friend. I'm sorry. Okay. Call back with the question, but uh, put that out to the audience about worshiping the same God. We're going to Douglas line three. Got to be quick, man. Yeah, I just wanted to point out that Lucifer, Satan, yeah. is an angel. They were all created all at once. Amen. They don't get older. They don't die. They're all still around. He's, he's a fallen angel, a third of the host came down here, and they're the ones we should be afraid of. Amen. And we should have reverence for God, and we should believe in Jesus Christ for our salvation. Amen. But we need to be very careful that we don't put Lucifer and Jesus into the same category as our brother. You're right about that. God bless you. Take care. Tune back in. we got a few seconds, you guys. I want to apologize. One, you can see that tonight... When people start going to points of doctrine, uh, I'm going to get a little bit uh, impassioned because uh, I know. And I've been there, and uh, they can dispute my knowledge of Mormonism. Um, They can say that things are that are not. Uh, They can say the Book of Mormon uh, does this and does that. But where the rubber meets the road, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, does not teach Jesus Christ, does not preach Jesus Christ, as the only means of salvation. Salvation meaning exaltation. Salvation meaning life with God. Christians believe that when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Christ and you believe in your heart, then you will be saved. Saved in the Christian church means living with God again. It doesn't mean any any play on words or anything else. It means simply living with God again. I have uh, at least 30 questions. Next week, I'm going to start by just reading questions. I'm going to read questions and answer. I'm not going to give a mini-sermon to kind of kickstart things. And we're just going to go through questions. If you have them, please call back, and, uh, and we can go through those again. And uh, if I've insulted you, you know, we're trying, to, we're trying to be kind with each other. And when you're having dialogue about beliefs, you know, you don't talk about sex, politi- politics, or uh, religion. You know, it can get that way. But I want you to know that I love you. I consider Latter-day Saints my people. Two, my family is all Latter-day Saint, most of them, um, except for some who have left. And uh, I have a great love and respect for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, and for the way they want to please God. But Mormonism is lacking, and that needs to change, and that's our push. Really quickly... Uh, The book Born Again Mormon, Moving Toward Christian Authenticity is available to you. All you have to do is write at uh, bornagainmormon.com and uh, tell us where you live and we'll send you out a copy. Uh, Not here to make money with this thing, just out to try to get some ideas into your head. This is not anti-Mormon literature. This is literature written by somebody who's been in the church, who does not have an axe to grind, who explains who he was in frank terms, and hopefully you'll call and order that. And if you're Christian, order it and give it to your friends. Give it to your LDS friends because I believe it's one of the greatest tools you could give to an LDS person. Finally, I want to offer a challenge. I want to offer um, the challenge of accepting Jesus Christ in the quiet of your home, in the quiet of your car. 
go before him broken. If you don't know where you stand relative to God, if you don't know that your sins have been completely taken away by Jesus 2,000 years ago, go to him, ask him to take over your life, and he will do it. This I promise. Until next week, Tuesday, 8 o'clock, see you later. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the wind. And I won't be coming out, I'm going in. This man's awake. A storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till the 